Hello and welcome to Obsession, where we get horribly obsessed, highly obsessed, <laughs> hilariously obsessed with things that other people might find odd. Nothing is too obscure, too creepy or too weird for us to research obsessively. I'm Heidi. And I'm Rebecca. Join us in being obsessed. <laughs> hello, Heidi, and hello, obsessives. Heidi, how are you going? I'm doing okay. Yeah, how about you? I'm doing really, really well. I've actually stopped quarantining now and I'm going out a little bit. What about you? Look, I'm kind of half quarantine. Yeah. I tell you what, though, I'm having a bit of a freak out. What are you having a freak out about? Robo dog. Robo dog. Robo dog. Have you what? not seen Robo dog? No. Okay. In Singapore, and apparently it's coming to Australia soon, there is this robot dog that, yeah. like, patrols the park, goes around this park. No. And it's got, like, a camera in its head, not that it really has a head, and it kind of senses if people aren't social distancing and it plays this recording saying, please, no. social distance. Oh, my God. And it's not like a really cute, awesome-looking robot dog. It's scary. It's like Just... it's nightmare fuel, Becky. Okay. Well, see, watching the uh, drones in China some months back that were yeah. communicating with people who were out of their houses and thinking, I would hate that. That's just nightmarish. I'm kind of laughing at the idea of a dog, though, because we are in Australia. Yeah. And knowing Australians... I don't think that dog's going to fare so well. Look, people are going to put beer cans on it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and no, worse. But I tell you what, this thing, this thing, you know, okay, you know me. I love dogs. I love anything that looks remotely canine. And I'm really hard to freak out. Yes. Actually, you're really hard to freak out. I'm almost unscarable. That thing scares me oh my god i just saw a picture of it i know and the way they're not really bringing it to australia are they Uh, apparently oh they'll be sorry that's a waste of money (laughs) that's gonna that poor little puppy dog's gonna get badly hurt Oh, (laughs) (laughs) oh that is creepy i know i know talking about creepy Oh, yeah. We've got a creepy tonight. Oh, yeah. It is a little bit creepy, isn't it? Yeah. We haven't done a creepy for a while, have we? No, we haven't. Yeah. Yeah. This one's a good one. I like to think of this as the sort of Brontes of spiritualism or something. Well, it kind of goes with our theme, doesn't it? We seem to be uh, quite obsessed with Victorian era spirituality. So Yeah. Yeah, this is this is our topic. So now you're not going to believe this, but yeah. I did not know about this at all, at all, at all, until you raised doing it as a podcast. Really? Yeah, no. I, I feel like I've kind of missed out. Wow. Okay, that's really interesting. Okay then. 
All right, so we are talking about the Fox sisters. So let's start. So in Hydesville, New York, there was an old house that was known by the local children as the Spook House. Every town has one of those. Oh, yes. They would dare each other to run into the house and down into the cellar knowing that only the bravest would venture into the most haunted house in town. It was on one chilly November day in 1904 that a group of children decided to play in the cellar of the spook house after school. They told each other ghost stories and local legends, and they dug around in the cellar for evidence that the stories could be true. There was one legend in Hydesville of a traveling salesman who'd been murdered and then buried in that very cellar. His ghost had haunted the house ever since. There were rumors that his bones had been found down there around 50 years ago, but this didn't stop the children from hunting for more. That day, the game took an exhilarating turn as whole sections of what looked like to be a human skeleton was in one of the decaying walls. There was also a tin box, the type that was used by peddlers half a century ago. The farmhouse in Hydesville was not actually called the Spook House when the four members of the Fox family moved there in 1847. John and Margaret Fox had not had an easy relationship. John was an alcoholic who was often out of work and Margaret was an anxious and superstitious woman. They had four grown children who had flown the nest and Maggie, aged 14, Kate, aged 11, were the only two children left at home. Poor Margaret had often heard the local tales of a murdered salesman and her imagination immediately began to play on her nerves. Young Maggie and Kate were very amused to see their mother listening out for strange noises and gasping at shadows, and they decided to have a bit of fun with her. It began with them tying strings to apples and bouncing them up and down the stairs to make the sound of thumping footsteps. This simple trick was very successful as Margaret became abjectly terrified. The two girls may have been too young to understand how badly they were affecting their mother's fragile mental state and they busily planned more hauntings. Both girls realised that they could do unusual things with the bones in their toes. They could snap the big toe and the second toe together in the same way most people can snap their fingers and they could make extremely loud popping noises with the joints of their toes. They practised this in the same way Other girls might practice the piano and they ended up becoming very skillful at cracking their toe joints that they could create echoing noises when wearing shoes. Ooh. Yuck. You know, I can't, I can't can't stand, I cannot stand it when people click their joints. Oh, look, I, I have really clicky bones. I've always had really clicky bones ever since I was a kid. I can't do anything like that. Well, you didn't practice as much as these girls did. No, I didn't. It's it, um, And do you know what? Feet gross me out. 
feet do they? yeah feet and toes kind of gross me out so <laughs> uh, yeah i've got your kryptonite now yeah, i've got the so... i've got the robo dog and i've got your toes so i could have a bit of fun with this oh my god yeah so basically you know anything to do with toes or toe bones just schemes me out so this was hard for me <laughs> oh, okay just just the fact of the clicking yeah. really yeah. oh can you do that with your fingers, the click? Oh, Heidi, don't do that. I can't stand it. <laughs> oh. 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 So, the mischievous girls put their noisy talents to work, waking up the entire household and bringing their mother to hysterics. Little shits, I'm just going to say. I'm just going to put that out there. Poor mother. Margaret was so sleep deprived on the night of the 31st of March that she was in just the right state to believe that her daughters were talking to the ghost. Kate set the ball rolling by staring into space and addressing a Mr. Splitfoot which was incidentally the local word for Satan. Margaret watched in silent horror as her girls clicked their fingers and waited for the invisible Mr. Splitfoot to click back. He always did, and he always responded with the same number of clicks that the girls had done. They then spoke in raps. With Mr. Splitfoot answering questions such as, how many people are in this family? With the appropriate number of raps. Kate noticed that her mother was beside herself in terror and tried to comfort her by saying, tomorrow is April Fool's Day and it's someone trying to fool us. By that time, however, things had gone too far and Margaret was past the point of being able to think logically. You know, it's this story that reminds me so much of the Cottingley fairy hoax that we talked about a few episodes yeah. ago, don't you think? Only only in an evil way. Kind I of. think the Cottingley fairy girls were quite um, mischievous and well-intentioned. Yes. I think the girls were a little bit nasty, to be honest with you. I'm yes. sorry. So, you know, it starts as a joke and it goes out of control like the Cottingley Fairy Girls, only this goes much, much further. So in this case, Margaret actually brings in the neighbours. John, the dad, who's much more pragmatic, is mortified that the whole town is going to think that they're crazy. <laughs> But Margaret's unstoppable now. The entire neighbourhood ended up in the Fox House and Maggie and Kate were in the same position as the Cottingley girls in that they didn't want to continue with the joke, but they couldn't let people down either. So they couldn't <laughs> let the neighbours think that their mother was a fool and completely embarrass her in front of everyone. Okay. Okay, well, there's some good intent yes. there, I guess. <laughs> so they repeated the performance and they added in the detail that the murdered peddler 
was communicating from the basement where apparently his body had been hidden. Their performance was so good that not only did the neighbours believe it, they also spread the word that the Fox sisters could speak to ghosts. It didn't take long for the farmhouse to become a kind of tourist attraction and Maggie and Kate were forced to reprise their roles as spirit mediums every night for the strangers who appeared on the doorstep wanting messages from the dead. However, not everyone was impressed with these unearthly sisters and the word witchcraft was being used in association with the Fox family. The minister of their church banned them from attending services and there was even a pamphlet circulating that told the story of the farmhouse haunting. Enter Leah. Yes. Now, so Mm -hmm. Leah was the much older sister of Maggie and Kate and she had been shocked to read this pamphlet in her home in Rochester. First, a bit about Leah. Right, so she's a major player in this story. She was 33 at the time and had been a single mother since her teenage years, her husband having abandoned her shortly after marriage. She had been trying to eke out a living as a music teacher and often had to rely on the kindness of her Quaker friends to make ends meet. She was hard-headed, unsentimental, a woman with keen survival instinct. And the pamphlet gave her an idea. She took a trip to see her family on the pretext of being concerned about their reputation and wanting to sort things out. Leah took Kate back to Rochester with her and demanded to be told the whole story. Relieved to finally be about to tell the truth, Kate poured out the entire tale of deception to her older sister. Now, Leah was not angry. In fact, Leah was quite impressed. She made arrangements for Maggie to join them and began to plan a business venture. Late 1840s Rochester was a place brimming with new ideas and progressive ideals. Spiritualism was not yet a fully-fledged movement, but the followers of Emanuel Swedenborg and other radical thinkers just needed one event to make it so. Mm, see, we, now we're getting into the territory again of the Collingley Fairies uh-huh. where, uh, yeah, they're looking for it, they get a tick or something, yeah. they make it happen. Yeah, and that event was the appearance of the Fox sisters. Leah got to work organising the seances, which her younger sisters would participate in under threat of having their lives exposed. No. Oh. Maggie and Kate would use their incredible feet to create sound effects and they would make their ghosts communicate in raps, taps and pops. Maggie was incredibly uncomfortable with the deception, but Kate seemed to have convinced herself that their spiritual gifts were real. Mm. Even though the seances had been a success, Leah was ambitious for more. She hired the largest auditorium in Rochester and coerced her sisters into a very public display of their talents. The scared and reluctant girls found themselves in front of a jeering audience that had more than one newspaper man ready to reveal them as frauds. The show 
went so well that it enraged the audience. They had hoped for a public mocking and there was even a barrel of tar for tar and feathering that had been confiscated at the door. So just keep in mind that these girls are like a teenager and a child and they're thinking of tar and feathering them. Unbelievable. (laughs) I'm trying to think how they even got the tar and feathering barrel to the auditorium. Yeah, I have no idea. They sort of roll it down the street all dressed up. (laughs) So every night of the performance was the same. The girls performed flawlessly and the audience screamed for an investigation. A committee was formed and an investigation was made, but nobody could work out how the girls could possibly be making these noises. There was a riot on the final night. Rowdy audience members set off fireworks and the Fox sisters became notorious. Their newfound stardom brought in money and adoring followers. Even respected intellectuals publicly supported them. Spiritualism had gone from being a fringe interest to big business and all because of the Fox sisters. They had competition now as many other people started establishing themselves as mediums, some with more professional production values and theatre experience. Both Maggie and Kate struggled with fame, but Kate, who had only been 12 when they'd first gone public, struggled the hardest. Like many contemporary child stars, the girls spent most of their time around adults and were exposed to substance abuse at a very young age. Both girls were known for liking a drink, but... Kate became an alcoholic in her early teenage years. The personal lives of the sisters were also complex. Maggie married the handsome young Arctic explorer, Alicia Kane, who had gone to their show to denounce them as frauds and ended up falling in love with Maggie instead. However, a disastrous expedition destroyed his health and he died only a couple of years after marriage. Kane's strict Catholic family turned their backs on Maggie, who was forced to continue her career as a medium. Kate had been perfecting her stage production and branched out into automatic writing. Leah was on to her third husband, Daniel Underhill, and they had become quite a couple in the spiritualist world. Leah's grip on her sister's lives was tighter than ever. At the age of 34... Kate was sent to England to be a spiritualist missionary. Leah was concerned that Kate's alcoholism was going to be a bad influence on Maggie, who was starting to drink again. Kate's life changed for the better in England, where she met and married a barrister named Henry Jenkin. They had two sons and Kate was happier than she had ever been. Then... Like her sister, Kate was left a widow and had to return to New York to work for Leah. They mm. did not have luck with husbands, did they? They did not have luck with husbands. yeah. Mm. Her subsequent depression meant a return to drinking and Leah attempted to take her children from her. Oh, dear. Both Maggie and Kate had reached a breaking point. Both 
with Leah and her controlling ways and with their careers. They were going to come clean to the whole world and describe how, as children, they played a trick on their mother and accidentally created a religious movement. Maggie did just that. On October the 21st, 1888, in the New York Academy of Music, Maggie told the audience everything, making sure to lay the blame on Leah, who had manipulated two children for her own ambition. But many people didn't believe her. Spiritualism had become too big, too important to die out because it was denounced by one of its founders. Yeah. Some spiritualists decided she had been overtaken by unfriendly spirits. Some <laughs> believed that she saw more money in being a critic. Strangely, only a year later, Maggie claimed that she had indeed been take, overtaken by a bad spirit and forced into a false confession. Her reputation at this point was in complete tatters. She was completely estranged from Leah and living in poverty. The three sisters died in close succession. Leah in 1890, Kate in 1892 from kidney failure. Maggie died eight months after Kate, poor, broken and lonely. Both Maggie and Kate were buried in Cypress Hill in Brooklyn. People forgot about the disgraced Fox sisters, but spiritualism as a movement continued to flourish, reaching its zenith after World War I. It was a juggernaut much bigger than the two girls who'd thumped apples on the staircase of a farmhouse. But what about the bones that had been found in the cellar mm. in 1904? What about the tin peddler's box found by the children? Could there have been a murdered salesman under the Fox family farmhouse all that time? A doctor did examine the skeleton and pronounced it was only a few ribs with odds and ends of bones and among them a superabundance of some and a deficiency of others. Among them also were some chicken bones. It was later thought to be a practical joke by a man who lived nearby. A fitting ending for the legend of the Fox sisters. A game made possible by bones. Well, well, well. Well, well, well. Do you know, Heidi, I often think that um, oral legends often have some kind of historical truth to it. So I would love to dig deeper into this and see if there was any kind of a missing peddler at some point or, or the origin of the myth. I would like to know the origin of the myth. Well, do you know what? When A, a detail that I didn't mention earlier uh, when the girls were doing their demonstration for the neighbours on that on that first day, um, and when they were going into the history of this murdered peddler in the basement, they actually mentioned the name of the murderer, and it was just a name that came to one of them. Uh. And there was a man in town with that name. 
And of course, there couldn't be a trial because there wasn't a body and there was nothing else to, to base that on. But his reputation was ruined and he had to move away. Really? Yes. That kind of sucks. That sucks a lot. Yeah. Unless, yes. unless maybe the girls had heard a rumour somewhere at some point. Who knows? Or it could have just been that that was a name that one of them had heard and she had to come up with a name really quickly. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. Yeah, it's it's kind of like Jan in the Brady Bunch when she, was pretend, she pretended she had a boyfriend and she was like, George Glass. <laughs> It was probably like that. <laughs> oh, dear me. Well, I have to say, I don't know. What was the silliest thing that you ever sort of made up as a kid that had you been in a different era and different circumstances, people may have taken seriously, like the Cottingley Fairies and the Fox Sisters? Do you know what? I had a really wild imagination when I was a kid, but I tended yeah. to stay very quiet about things. Like I, I, right. I wasn't actually talking about, you know, these things that I was thinking or thinking that I saw. I was just keeping them very secretive and quiet. So I would never have been a fox sister. No, I was a blabbermouth. <laughs> <laughs> I was a blabbermouth, and I was a shocking liar as a child. I was a terrible liar. Really? So I. I was. I was dreadful. Um, I still get embarrassed thinking about the lies I told when I was a child. So can I tell you one lie which I told which nearly sunk me in a – well, I thought it was going to sink me in a big way. Yeah. But I told all of my my um, uh, fellow students when I was about eight or mm-hmm. nine that I was actually born in France. <laughs> okay. Now, I really wasn't born in France, but I don't know why I came up with this lie. There was no need for it. It didn't make me special or anything. But then a few days later, we were doing an Eng- a, a class um, and the teacher said, does anyone know what the word petite means? <laughs> and I thrung my, you know, thrust my uh, hand up in the air and I said, sir, 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 I know, I know, petite means small. And he goes, that's right. Petite is the French word for small. And at which point all the students, you know, that's not fair, sir, she's French. <laughs> oh, my God. I have never wanted to die of embarrassment more in my life. I mean, he didn't even notice. But I went home that night and I expected my parents to have a letter. I lived in fear <laughs> from that lie for a good two years. So, yeah. Oh, my goodness. So, any childhood friends out there, whatever I told you. Now, actually, do you know what? I've got another okay. one. I'm so sorry, Heidi. Yeah. I've just remembered, and I actually probably should have told you this one before. From grade three, so I would have been about what seven or eight yeah nine maybe i told everyone i was a witch oh but you are that was true (laughs) well maybe i was because i had um my father used to muck around with the super eight film and make these uh films where i would disappear like you know you you do the stop record and you know that and I showed these to my school friends and told them I was a witch and I could really do it. And they believed that I was a witch for years. Yeah, but that that was kind of a half-truth, wasn't it? Well, i got to tell you, unlike the French lie, I wasn't scared of being revealed for that one. So maybe I knew something then. Yeah. Who knows? Uh-huh. Well, well, see, when I was little, I had a fear of lying. Like I was, Oh, did you really? Yes, I had. It was... Um, 
it was like this religious fear of lying. Like I kept thinking, oh, that's because I, I kept yeah. thinking that Satan was going to hear me lie and take me to hell. Well, that was because of your your schooling. Really. Can we bring up your schooling? Are we allowed to do school, that? Of course. And uh, uh, so there was a time when I was so anxious about accidentally lying that I developed this tick where I would say, I think, after everything I said. Sort of a way of hedging what I said so that if what I said was not true by accident, it wasn't a lie because I, you know, hedged it with I think and then Satan couldn't take me. So how long were you frightened of Mr Splitfoot? Oh, a few years. That's I know, isn't it? Yes. Well, you couldn't explore the thought that you might have been a witch. Well, now I have, and I know I'm a witch now. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we start a coven, Heidi? See, there's only two of us. We need a third, and then Do you, you know, know what? I we, we can deal with a lot of the world's problems. I did start a coven at uni. Did yes, you really? But it wasn't that successful. Um, we. We just like had crystals and we just like did purifying stuff with crystals and then we just kind of got bored. But yeah, were you about 19 when you did that? That's when I started yes. exploring stuff about 19. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I was casting nightly spells at 19. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. <laughs> but imagine if anybody had kind of believed any of the things that we said in the same way that the fox sisters were believed exactly i mean like my tales of being a witch you know placed in a different time context with you know more superstitious and believing adult less educated adults around me you'd have been drowned (laughs) (laughs) well no they wouldn't be able to drown me because i would have been oh that's right you would have turned into a bat and you would have flown into the air Away. That's right. That's exactly what you would have done. That's right. Talking of turning into a bat and flying away. Yes. We must away with our familiars, Heidi. Must we? We must. That's a shame. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening. You can join the discussion on our Obsession Facebook page. And if you are enjoying our podcast, maybe subscribe and leave us a review. And why not tell your friends and let's all get obsessed. Bye. Bye.